And last week, Doug wrapped up a series on kryptonite. And so as we are transitioning here into the Christmas season, uh, we have put together a short series called Fresh. Fresh. Fresh is just about, is an opportunity for the, the three Crosswinds pastors to each just take a week and talk about something that God is doing in our lives right now. Currently, some issue we're facing, some struggle, something we're coming out of, something God is leading us through at this present time in our lives. So I'm on this week. Doug Weinkoff will be next week. And uh, Doug Mathers, fresh back from Israel, will take the third week. So I'm going to start a little bit here talking about my story. My story is much more than just one word, legalism, all right? Uh, there's, there's a lot more in my background than just that. But as I became an adult a few weeks ago, <laughs> I began to notice that I have some legalism in me and that there was a lot more of it than I would care to admit. Somewhere along the way, and this was not just a moment in time kind of thing. This wasn't just a suddenly flick a switch and there it is kind of thing. More like a, a quiet, subtle process. That's the way legalism creeps in. I became a legalist. I adopted a performance mindset that I am still fighting my way through today. Somewhere along the way, I made an agreement that God is not pleased with me unless I keep the rules and stay in line. And so I slipped into this mindset somewhere along the way. And to be honest with you, still really trying to connect all those dots in my life. So what are we talking about here? What is legalism? What is it? The dictionary says that legalism is strict, literal, or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious moral code. Just people who are just obsessed with rules and laws, right? Spiritually speaking, legalism is when people try to connect with God on the basis of works or merit. In other words, it's up to me to earn God's favor and his acceptance. The legalist lives and operates inside of a prison cell of rules to follow, boxes to check, and just staying in line. And while I would love to be able to tell you this morning that the church, and I mean church capital C, the, the universal church, gets this, they get this, and after 2,000 years of, of church history, you know, we're, we're able to say, you know, uh, we, we get this now. I, I want to be able to tell you that the church shuns legalism and embraces the pursuit of freedom in Christ. But I can't say that this morning because it's simply not true. And that's the sad reality. I had a friend visited a church in the upper Midwest. This church is famous for its legalism. And they, uh, so you, they have rules about the way you're allowed to have your hair. So guys, if you go in there, you know, they have some pretty strict rules about, about uh, you, you know, it, it has to be a certain length in relation to your ears. It can't be touching the collar in the back, right? So you, you go in and uh, it makes me wonder, uh, you know, if Jesus and the disciples showed up to this church, what would happen with them? <laughs> it probably wouldn't make it through the front doors. But 
I, I, I definitely want to be on the right side of that one. But so if you went to visit this church and, you know, you walk in and, and you discover to your dismay that your hair is like quarter of an inch down and touching your collar, then lucky for you, right off to the side in this foyer, and I swear I'm not making this up, is a room that is staffed with volunteers with scissors and clippers at the ready to cut your hair for you so that you will come to the place where you become acceptable enough to be able to go into their sanctuary and and uh, sing their songs and listen to their message. And so my friend told me that as bad as that sounds, that's not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is that at the end of their service that day, they gave an altar call for salvation, during which time they sang, Just As I Am. <laughs> Insane. So uh, I have a, a lot of this stuff in my background. I really could spend the next month just telling you stories about the stuff that I've encountered or friends who have done this and that. Uh, I remember one time I went to a school that was hyper-legalistic, and uh, it was the school that was very much like this church I just told you about. And uh, it was a good academic school, made me the, the scholar, the formidable scholar I am today. But they, uh, you know, they had pretty strict rules about modesty and about dress, and it wasn't just like one of those places where you have a uniform where, you know, the uniform, they, they provide some boundaries, and you're free to kind of operate within those boundaries. This was a, a place where it was very, very strict. And they, were, you know, they had men just walking the halls with, with rulers and you know, making sure. So my sister and I walk into this school one day. I'm in fourth grade. I was there fourth grade and fifth grade. My sister was in second grade. All right? We walk in, and uh, somebody must have noticed right away that there was a little too much of her low, lower portion of her kneecap showing. And so they, they pulled her into the office, and there was a few people like came around her. And so the way that they would check, I'm, I'm like waiting for her, the, the way that they would check to make sure that the skirt length was long enough is you would get down on your knees, and if the skirt touched the ground, you're good. All right? But if the skirt did not touch the ground, then you were in violation of their modesty policy. So they, they have my sister in this office, and like a bunch of men in suits and ties around her, and and uh, they have her kneel, and I thought they were going to execute her. But they, sure enough, her, her skirt did not touch the ground, and it was just like a, a, an inch off the ground. And so fortunately, they let her live. But my parents did get a registered letter about my sister, second grader, about their second grade daughter and her issues with immodesty. And I could tell you stories like that. I mean, this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, legalism is alive and well in the church today. So how did we get here, right? How did we get here? Where did all of this come from if we were to trace it? In the Old Testament, there was the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. And in the Mosaic law, there were 613 laws that had to be observed and followed. But along the way, these rule lover, lawyers, and religious leaders began adding in their own traditions and their own rules and regulations to the law so that instead of having 613 laws to deal with, they ended up with thousands of 
laws. Now, the problem here was not that the leaders were coming up with some new rules here and there. Okay? Anyone here who's a parent, you understand that sometimes you just need to introduce a new rule. Right? There, there's a time and a place for that. We can cut them some slack for that. The problem is that they were elevating their own man-made rules to the level of God's law. And they were enforcing their own rules as if it was the Mosaic law. So these strict rule keepers and, and rule enforcers are the ones that became like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we read about in the story of Jesus in the Gospels. And uh, so the Pharisees were the biggest legalists ever, like the poster children for legalism is who the Pharisees were, okay? They weighed people down with rules and regulations that were basically just their own opinions, just their own personal interpretations of the law that had, over time, become codified. So one great example of this, these rules run amok, is surrounding the issue of working on the Sabbath. In the Mosaic Law you were to set apart one day in seven as a day of rest, a Sabbath. And the origin of this word Sabbath means to cease or to stop. So God's children were to you know, cease their labors one day in seven. So I can imagine some of these rule lovers sitting around and they're just, some of these lawyers and they're just like, well, this isn't good enough for us, you know? We need to know exactly, and, and those of you who are recovering legalists in the room this morning, like I am, you know, like, hi, my name is Jeff, I'm a recovering legalist. Th- those of you who are, are kind of with me on that and, and have experienced a little struggle with that, you'll, you'll, you'll get this right away. They want to know exactly where is the line between rest and work. I want to know how far I can go on the Sabbath before I become a lawbreaker. So you're probably sitting around talking about this, and so here's what they did. They, they come up with, they're, they're trying to figure out uh, what work is, so they come up with 39 separate categories of what work is, right? And then after that, they added many subcategories to each of their categories. So when it came to the Sabbath, there were literally thousands of rules and regulations that had to be observed. It, it got to, to the point where it, it's almost like tyranny by anarchy, right? It, it, there's so many laws that everyone's a lawbreaker. You can't possibly keep them all. And so, <clears throat> but this is what happens. This is one of the problems, many problems, with being ruled by rules is that once you create a rule, you need many, many more rules behind it to enforce and to like subcategories of the first one. So like at, at my house, if I say, all right, new rule, the TV volume will not ever be set above 30, right? And so my son, who is already beginning his law career at the age of 10, he says, well, what if mom is vacuuming the floor and we're watching TV. It's like, all right, new rule. (laughs) If mom is vacuuming, the TV will be able to be set to 50. Immediately upon completion of the vacuuming job, the volume must be lowered again to 30. 
right? So it, it, just, it just goes on and on and on like that. And you have to support the one rule with many, many more. And so uh, it, it's like the, the vicious cycle. So when the Pharisees were, were doing this, when the, the, excuse me, the, the lawyers and the religious leaders were doing this, this included like how many steps you could take on the Sabbath, how many individual steps you were allowed to take. So, you know, you got people walking around with their pharisaical Fitbits, Right, and, and at the end of the day, you get law enforcement knocking at your door, uh, wanting to you know make sure that you were keeping the Sabbath. And I mean, hey, you want to be right with God, right? So so you you want to make sure that that your Fitbit is is saying the right thing. So they come to the door and they look at your Fitbit and say the say the number is 500. You can't take any more than 500 steps on the Sabbath. So it probably have to be more than that, but. So they, uh, they would come in, and they look at it, and they see that you're at like 517. Then you get exposed as the lawbreaker that you are. You are now a breaker of God's law because you took 17 more steps than you were allowed to do. So this also went for the number of letters you were allowed to write. I mean like actual individual characters like alphabetical letters that you were allowed to write on the Sabbath. And so they sat around figuring all this stuff out. And then, and then once you have all this stuff down on paper or papyrus or scroll or whatever, then you have to enforce it. You have to enforce it. Um, so Jesus comes along, right? Jesus, man, Jesus did some stuff on the Sabbath. And it ticked the Pharisees off when Jesus would do stuff on the Sabbath. Here's one story we can read about in Matthew 12. It says, Then Jesus went over to their synagogue, there meaning the Pharisees, where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And the Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? You see, the Pharisees had already probably had a meeting where they figured this out. You, you can't rest and heal at the same time. So healing is work. So so they're trying to trap Jesus, and that's what it says here. They were hoping that he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So he answers them, yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored, just like the other one. And so what did the Pharisees do in response to this? Well, they got together, they had a meeting, and they said, they said, you know, I've really been thinking about what Jesus said, and you know what? He's right. We really need to back off on these rules. No, they did not say that. In fact, the next verse tells us exactly what they said. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. All right, that was their response to Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. You see, these religious leaders, they were making it hard for people to connect with God. That is a big, big deal to Jesus. The focus of legalism is all about external appearances. So our motives, our intentions, our desires, and what's going on in our hearts, that means nothing to the legalist. That means nothing to the Pharisee or the, the person who is ruled by rules. It's what's on the outside. That's all that matters. 
So in one of the many public rebukes that Jesus gave to the Pharisees, and there were many, he said to them, you make it so hard for people to connect with God. You're so obsessed with all of your little rules and laws and interpretations of of the law that you are completely missing the point. And we got to get this. Nobody ever talked to the Pharisees like this, okay? So Jesus said, you hypocrites, you, sw- you, you strain out a gnat and then you swallow a camel. Love that picture of hypocrisy. Another time, Jesus was really lighting the Pharisees up. This is Matthew chapter 23. We don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but uh, Jesus was, was really you know, going after them and and uh, he said to the religious leaders, and there were a big crowd of people there, his disciples were there, and he said, he said to them, to, to the people, you should not follow these Pharisees, because truthfully, they're the real hypocrites. They're really the ones <clears throat> who are blind. You can see why the Pharisees are a little upset with Jesus. He said to them, for all your legal knowledge, you don't even know the difference between clean and unclean. You don't even know the difference between the two. You hypocrites, you blind Pharisees, you spend so much time and energy making sure the outside of the cup is clean. You know, cleaning it, scrubbing it down and and polishing it, making sure it's all so nice and shiny so, so people will walk by you and see the outside of your cup and say, oh, look how spiritual that person is, the outside of their their cup, which represents their life. Their life is just so clean, how spiritual they are, how much I want to be like them, how much I need them, how, how much I can't connect to God without them, right? And Jesus says, when the inside of your cup is filled with greed and self-indulgence, that's the problem with being focused on externals. You see, He was saying, Jesus was saying that whether a person is clean or unclean is determined by what is on the inside, not by what's on the outside where the Pharisees' focus was. Jesus' focus was on the heart instead of mere behavior, instead of mere outward conformity to the Pharisaical system which said the way to earn God's acceptance is to keep our lists, check all of our boxes, and stay in your lane. But by putting the focus on the heart, Jesus was blowing their thing up. All right? Jesus, the Pharisees had thousands of rules and regulations, thousands upon thousands. Jesus comes along and essentially says, I have two. I have two. He said, and he, he would say things like this to the Pharisees, and oh, it made them so angry. Because he, he, no, again, nobody ever talked to the Pharisees like this, ever. Jesus comes along and he says to the experts in the law, haven't you even read the law? Have you even read it? I mean, can you, can you imagine that the Pharisees are not accustomed to this kind of interaction with people, much less a, just a carpenter? And he said to them, haven't you ever read the law? All of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two 
commandments. And these two commandments are all about the heart. All about the heart. Love God. Love your neighbor. That's it. You see the contrast here. Thousands and thousands of rules and regulations that I can't even keep up with. Or love God. Love your neighbor. Yeah, I can do that. Okay. So love God, love your neighbor begins to become what rules what I do and don't do on the Sabbath. I, yeah, I can do this for my neighbor on the Sabbath. I don't have to count my steps. I don't have to count the letters that I'm writing. This is loving my neighbor. It's okay to do good on the Sabbath, Jesus said. So I know it's easy for us to want to jump all over these Pharisees, right? Sometimes I think they get a bad rap. I'm being pretty hard on them this morning. There's some good things about them too. But they, they were really zealous about, you know, uh, they, they just had it all wrong. That's all. But we want to grab them, you know, by the, by the collar and say, what's the matter with you? You know, you're, you're making it so hard for people to come to God, but let's not be too quick to condemn them this morning. Okay, because the truth is, let's, let's just have an honest moment here. The truth is, there is a little bit of Pharisee in each of us. There just is. There just is. There's a little bit of Pharisee in each of us. I know for me, when I was a young adult, I began noticing a lot of similarities between me and the Pharisees. And I didn't like that that was the case. I began to notice the effects of legalism in my life in a, a few very clear ways. I'll give you a few. First of all, I began beating myself up. My wife has said to me so many times, Jeff, why are you being so hard on yourself? Like, this is just a little thing. Like, you don't beat yourself up over such a small thing. I was incredibly hard on myself. And this could have been anything, dropping a pass in a football game or singing something wrong or, uh, you, you know, missing an appointment because I forgot it. And I, I need lists and stuff in my life. I do because I, I, I forget things. You, you can ask my wife, old what's-her-name. And... <laughs> You know, but I, I forget stuff sometimes, so I have to write everything down. I kind of have to, I'm one of those guys that has to like live out of a, a planner, right? But uh, I also noticed that I became increasingly condescending. Maybe some of you who don't struggle with legalism as much have been around one, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Here, I've had to apologize to my sister. Ugh. Uh, I sat in judgment of everyone who held a non-Jeff opinion about anything, could have been sports, could have been theology, could have been politics, <clears throat> and who really agrees point by point on every one of those things, but it was like it became an obsession for me to, to, to get them, to persuade them to my side, you know, to, which was always the right side, of course. I also noticed that perfectionism was creeping in, big time. Everything in my world became black or white, right or wrong, pass or fail, my wife has had to say to me so many times, like, okay, right now, this is just that black and white thing in you coming out. And it's a tragedy because there are some things that are just gray. There is scripture that is just gray. It just is, you know? But the, my problem was, as a legalist, I was trying to make it black and white when it wasn't. And uh, those, again, those of you who struggle with this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're sitting in your seat like, mm-hmm, okay? Uh, also, I had continuous feelings of guilt. I would spend time in prayer, and I tried to keep short sin accounts with God, and I 
would, uh, you know, pray and, and ask God to show me things that, that any, is there anything that I need to confess, that kind of thing. And, and I would do that. And even after that, I just had this pervasive, this underlying sense of guilt all the time. I'm just walking around like, oh man, I'm just, you, you know, like this, I'm in the wrong about everything. Man, that is no way to live. So maybe some of you are like, yeah, okay, I can see those things. How, how can I notice some things in my own life? What are some, how do I recognize legalism in my own life? So here's just a little list of things I wrote down along the lines of those you might be a redneck if jokes. You remember those from a long time ago? Like if you're mowing your lawn and you find a car, you might be a redneck, right? Well, so you can think of it like that. So you evaluate these things as you are just sitting there in your seat quietly, just, you know, in your heart between you and the Lord. You just evaluate these things and, and uh, see if any of this kind of pricks your heart. If you think that some people are more Christian than others because of the way they behave, if you have elevated a certain personal preference or conviction to the same level as biblical truth, if you ever feel like God loves you more because you keep the rules, if you view God as a policeman who issues tickets, and keeps a thick file on you. If you have a nagging voice that's constantly whispering to you, I'm so familiar with this voice. If you have a nagging voice that constantly is whispering to you, get it right. If any of these things are hitting you where you live, you might be a legalist. Maybe not it might not be like up in your face, but underneath, deep down, maybe it's been sort of hiding in a blind spot, but it's there, and it's nasty business. So if legalism is so bad, why is it that so many of us are so tempted to go there? Why is it that so many uh, people who say that they're followers of Jesus want to run back to the, the imagined safety of rule keeping. Why are we so tempted to go there? Why is it so tempting? I'll give you a few things. This could be a really long list, but first of all, others will think highly of me. That's really important to a legalist. Others will think highly of me if I am a good rule keeper. Also, it feeds my pride. It feeds my pride. I am strong where others are weak. I succeed where others fail. Feeds my pride. Also, as long as I follow the rules, I am above reproach. Okay? My whole list is completed perfectly to the letter. All my boxes are checked, so I am insulated from your scrutiny. Right? And lastly, and I think this is probably one of the biggest things, 
I'm tempted to go to following the rules because in it, I can let my external successes mask my internal struggles. Hiding. Jesus is all about the internals. And he came to set us free from all of this, but there is like this gravitational force that keeps pulling us back to the rules. So what can we do about this? What can we do about this? How can we get out of the prison cell of being ruled by rules? What can I do today to begin moving in the direction of freedom, to begin coming out of this prison cell? And by the way, that door to that prison cell has been unlocked the whole time. We just... We legalists, we kind of get in there and we we close it and there's some sort of morbid security in that. First thing you have to do, own it. You have to. You have to own it. Own your legalistic tendencies. Call it what it is. Stop playing games and own it. You can't deal with this in your life until you do. Also, you need to seek out some people to help you. Just talk to some people about it, some people you trust who aren't going to go to Facebook with it. You know, talk to some people you trust. Your small group be a great place for you to open up with some other followers of Jesus <clears throat> about this. Uh, you, you know, meet a trusted friend for coffee, talk it over. I know you and I may not know each other very well yet, but, you know, I'm the pastor of life development here at Crosswinds. I, I would love an opportunity to get together with you and for coffee or here at the church or at your house or whatever and just listen to your story. And if this is a deal for you, like it is for me, we can talk it through and we can pray together and begin pursuing freedom from this in your life. Third, and this is so important, speak truth to it. Because listen, and this is something that, that you have to do almost daily. Sometimes I have to do this many times a day because I'm starting to recognize what legalism looks like when it's, when it's trying to get in subtly, right? But you've got to remember this. Legalism, it, it's a lie. It is a lie that God's favor and acceptance is something that you have to work for and earn. It's a lie, and it has to be counteracted with truth. Now, this has been really important for me as I struggle against those, those gravitational forces. There was a church in Galatia, and uh, th this was one of the first churches ever. And the church in a place called Galatia, and uh, they were having trouble with legalism too. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote so many books in the Bible. He wrote them a letter, and that letter is what we know as the book of Galatians. So, in this letter, he's talking to them about, you know, like, I've noticed that you've started to veer off. And finally, it's like he hits that moment of exasperation where he says, who cares about your stupid name tag? Right? He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You started off so strong. You started off living in the direction of freedom. And now you are allowing yourselves to be dragged back in to the rule-keeping mindset. What 
happened. What happened? So later in that same letter, uh, Paul said something that has sort of become a banner over my life. I have to come back to this reality sometimes multiple times a day, although it's, it's getting less and less as I'm journeying out of this and more towards grace. But that is Galatians 5.1. So Christ has truly set us free. Okay? Christ has truly set us free. That's what he's done for us. And that's, that's huge. You know, That's everything. Now, that's the truth. Here's the action step. Now, make sure that you stay free. See, God set you free. He doesn't keep you free. It's up to you whether you go in and out of that prison cell. That's your call. That's your decision. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Legalism is slavery. Legalism is a prison cell. Lastly, and this is so important, this becomes the new lens through which you see everything. Okay? Actively pursue grace. You actively pursue grace. Grace is everything for you if you're the legalist. Grace is the antidote to legalism. Grace completely silences the get it right voice. Grace allows you to cut yourself some slack. Imagine, you know... You, you miss an appointment. You just forget about it or, or something. Imagine instead of just being like, oh, stupid, stupid. Instead of that, you can laugh about it. That's the life of grace. Pursuing grace means living from the inside out, not from the outside in like the legalists do. When your life is all about grace for yourself, for others, you are living free. Now, before we have a closing song here, I know that in a group this size, I know that I'm not the only recovering legalist in the room. Legalism is far too pervasive for me to be the only one in this room who, who has an issue with this. And I believe that some people here today really need to hear this. And I get it. You know, I get the prison of do's and don'ts and shoulds and shouldn'ts and ought to's. I understand the temptation of wanting to run back to rule keeping. You know, like times in my life where I, I am kind of drifting a little bit and, and, and I want to come back to God. And so I'm like, okay, great. I, I know just what I have to do to come back to God. I start making a list. I end up with 13, 15 things. And I'm like, all right, there we go. As long as I keep everything on this list and just do every one of these things every day, then God and I are going to be good. And it's such a bad plan. That is, that is legalism. That is the wrong way to go about it. My prayer for you is that this might be for you maybe a wake-up call or a reminder and that this might be the day that you leave this oppressive burden of having to keep all of the rules in order for God to be pleased with you, that you leave that behind. I'm going to invite you to stand up here and, not stand up here, but stand up in this room and sing this last song as a prayer. 
This last song is all about God doing a deep work on the inside, and I want to invite you to sing it with us. Father, I think of so many times in my journey out of legalism into grace, struggling with coming to church and, you know, putting on that face, making sure the outside of my cup was all clean for everybody to see. God, your word says that it is possible to honor you with our lips while our hearts are far from you. I pray that this might be the moment for some here who need to drive a stake in the ground today and say, I'm going to own it and I'm going to actively pursue grace. Do in our hearts now, Lord, what only you can do, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Have a wonderful day.